All right, welcome back to Problem Solver Politics. I am your host, Cardinalis, with Cody the Oracle. Hey, everybody. And we got a lot to talk about today. Andrew Yang's Humanity Forward project has already raised $2.9 million. It's actually pretty impressive. Well, I guess total would bring it up to almost six. I think they had announced three before they even went live as backing, and now additional two points. Yeah, so, so that's off the charts in terms of initial seed money success. Also, AOC is apparently uh, a Biden gal now. That's pretty interesting. She's kind of like, you know, playing both sides of the fence. And then let's not forget that uh, Tulsi is not only still in this race and uh, super cool candidate, but she's kind of getting a little bit dogged by Bernie. And it looks like there was a snafu in American Samoa where she actually picked up a delegate. They thought they lost, but then she got it. Then she lost it. But now it's official. She's got it. So, Cody, tell us what's going on. Let's start with Andrew Yang. All right, so this is uh, coming in just this morning from uh, Eugene Daniels, a believer reporter from Politico. He actually wrote up a very nice piece. Uh, of all the initial uh, embargo-lifting pieces that went up about the Humanity Forward thing yesterday, his in Politico was probably the best. Highly recommend it. Anyway, though, uh, Andrew Angus' campaign, or the it's not his campaign, Ven, uh I guess Humanity Forward, it's weird, I want to say Andrew Yang's campaign, because it's like the same infrastructure, but not. Humanity Forward reached out to him and alerted him that they had raised an additional $2.9 million in the 24 hours after going live, and then $2 million of that is going to go to uh, people as part of UBI Project. I actually, if in general, that is what we're looking at is operating here, about one-third-ish is administrative, and then two-thirds will go to various projects they have going, I'm okay with that. That's better than some. I've seen some that run closer to, like, what, 60-40 administrative? <laughs> like, yeah, after we take most of the money and pay our, our admin, then we'll do the rest with our yeah. thing. Uh, I can't imagine Andrew Yang doing that in the first place, so I like seeing that number that split. It's, again, super unscientific. I have no idea what it'll go on looking forward, but so far, $2 million. I mean, just think about that. In one day, in 24 hours, Andrew Yang, using his profile, he shifted it over to this thing. He has $2 million in funding for... Like that's two million dollars that's literally going into people's pockets. Like you know when you donate to some charities, some nonprofits, you always wonder. Like I, I wonder yeah. if you donated three dollars, two of them are going to people as UBI right now. Yeah, that's pretty. I mean, impressive, I'm thinking, I signed up for a monthly donation. That's really cool. I think that it's actually going now. Again, we'll see more. I don't want to come out here to shill shamelessly for the thing, even though I do like Andrew Gang yeah. a lot. But I just think um, the bigger reason I wanted to highlight this in particular, aside from the the shameless shilling, is it does show what Andrew Yang's profile. He wasn't raising $2.9 million in 24 hours anymore when he was running for president at the end. There yeah. was periods he was. By the time he was, he wasn't raising that in days by the end of his campaign. Yeah. Now that, and I kind of feel the same way. It's just that presidential race is so daunting, and there always was a sense of like, I thought he could win if he did really good in Iowa and New Hampshire, and he didn't. So I'm like, yeah, he probably, he needed to steamroll early and often and just uh -huh. motivate so many votes. It didn't happen. But now that he's doing something, he could definitely wrap his arms around and like give money to people and help people win congressional stuff. That is definitely what he could do with money. So I'm, I don't know, all hands on board. And clearly, though, I'm not alone. $3 million in 24 hours for something like this. I'm not an expert in nonprofits. I have to imagine, though, that's a pretty good day one. Especially for something when you think about if UBI is such a fringe, weird, wild thing that nobody wants, $3 million were backed before he went live and he raised another $3 million in a day. Basically, just by going on The View. And on The View, they mentioned it in the first segment and then didn't bring it up again. Like, yeah, like It's not like, like he had like an hour-long promo on The View yeah. about it. He brought it up, and then it was mostly just social stuff from there on out. And it's very, very cool to see that success. And a couple things I want to bring up from that already as far as what it means for 
the early returns we can see. Number one, and this is what I, I like to see it right away, is um, Andrew Yang is already starting to do the first thing because you know what's free? What's free is putting your political cachet and weight behind people like a Mr. J.T. Schulten who is running for Congress in Iowa's 4th District. I'm assuming if Yang's endorsing him, he's pretty uh, positive on UBI. Yeah. So I'm just, it's, it's funny to see it has begun. Day, like day one, and I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of this. Uh, one, I think because Andrew Yang might enjoy it a little bit. I think he, I, yeah. I, I have to imagine a couple weeks off campaigning, he kind of missed it. So being able to yeah. come out and help campaign for local people. And then two, it's the, if he wants to run again in 24, which all signs point to, he probably does. Getting a coalition of people in Congress and in Senate that are looking forward to more Congress, right? But are UBI proponents from day one? That helps you just, it's a good argument. I bring it up every time, but it's a good argument for your presidential campaign. One, they're going to endorse you. And two, you could say, I already have X amount of people in the House that support my idea. Yeah, and also the other thing that I look forward to is they're I'm I'm hoping they do this at least, and if they were smart, and I I know they're smart, they'll obviously think the way I do. But um, we'll finally get data on UBI. When you and I first started following Andrew Yang and, and started following UBI, one of our biggest frustrations was okay. Well, we've got this 17th century example. We've got the Alaskan pipeline dividend, which is kind of similar, but it's not a universal basic income. It's a pipeline dividend. Uh, you know, and we had all kinds of tangential examples. There were some failures of a basic income in Finland, but but that wasn't a, a universal basic income. It was just a handout given out to the poor in an aging population that couldn't work. So when it didn't spur economic activity like we think universal basic income would in America, all of the all of the naysayers would say, "Oh, see, it failed in Finland." It's like, well, no, that's because they were they were giving it to like fifty five year olds who'd had multiple hip surgeries and couldn't you know participate in the workforce as a welfare program, and we don't want it just to be a welfare program. We want it to replace the welfare state. Yes, but. There was such little data and, and we had to, we basically developed an opinion based off of a lot of inferences and tangential suppositions that you could get from about 10 to 12 solid examples where something similar was tried. You know, remember when uh, Nixon was initially proposing it, somebody showed him a yeah. study from like, was it 16th century England came back on it? Was, it? Like, it was the 1600s, 17th uh, century, century England. Century England. Yeah. Sorry, but yeah, like that's that's the level of data we have out there. In some of the stuff. That's a great point you brought up though. Just in general, funding, and I get even there'll be pilot programs, that's a great way to get data, but just it's one way to, it's one thing to just say we gave people money and that's the data we collected. It costs money to turn it into real data. Pretty cool to see they probably be doing the same. Yeah, well, think about it. I mean, if they're giving a thousand people, all right, a thousand dollars a month, then that's going to be costing, and, and that's a huge data set. You know what I'm saying? But that's a million dollars a month. Well, or let's just say, even say it's five hundred. I mean, we take as scientific evidence from God some of these phone polls that only have like four hundred and twenty-four people, right? You know what oh, I'm yeah. saying? Oh yeah. So like, and, like no offense, it's four hundred twenty-four people that random answer random, obviously yeah. uh, soliciting callers in the middle yeah. of the day. It's a certain type of person who answers the poll. So as much as we'd like to see more, if he could get three hundred, four hundred, five hundred people on UBI, and ask them a, a, a battery of scientific questions. Throughout this two or three year period leading up to 2024, 
in which he measured their stress level, in which he marriage, uh, averaged how long their marriages lasted or didn't last, you know, what their what what their average health was according to their doctor in terms of blood pressure, this, that. Like, imagine if you could start gleaning statistics. Well, I would said, love to see. How about this? How about non-UBI-related income day one, non-UBI-related income the final day? I wonder how many people actually, as because I think one of the biggest things he has to they always say it in studies, but I think he's got any data on is no, you understand people don't start working less and make less money to rely heavier on UBI. They yeah. use this money to support them in making more. Cause the thing is, is generally speaking in a country like America, it's kind of like, if you're just doing the things you love enthusiastically more and more and more with more energy and time and resources at your hand, you generally do start acquiring just more money than you were before. It just, just the thing. People well, do yeah, all the like if, if all if of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm teaching people to do this thing on the side because I have some free time and I make more money. I don't know. Yeah, well, even you and I, I just thought, what would I do with a thousand bucks a month if I got it all of a sudden? Well, gosh, I, I'd put better soundproofing carpet in the studio. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I would do things that tangentially affected my ability to be a more efficient um, producer of video content. Um, I, I'd be interested maybe not having to do some of these other gigs so I could focus better on this one and learn this one and then make this one, uh, my replacement income. You know, I'm not just going to think, Oh sweet. A thousand bucks. I get to work a thousand dollars less as a freebie and chill. No, there's going to be like three guys like that in Ventura Harbor and at Venice beach and more power to them. The rest of us aren't that way. So anyway, the number one well, thing I'm looking investing for- Investing in yourself, even when we ask people, that is like the number one response. What would you do with UBI? I will invest in myself. That always comes back as like number one. Yes. So the number one thing I look forward to is the unavoidable data on UBI. This will really be the first time Outside of Stockton, where we haven't gotten a lot of data and where it's not a universal basic income chosen at random to all different uh, socioeconomic groups. I mean, technically, this isn't necessarily a universal one either because it's specific people. But beyond that, I just want to make sure we have time yeah. to get into something. Beyond that, I want to highlight a couple of things. Now, this isn't a complete one. We'll do a larger video, a more complete one one day. I feel bad because obviously, I just we've been aware... I've definitely been keeping my eye on a lot of people running for UBI, various parts around the country, down ticket. One, especially I was waiting, like, when is Andrew Jane going to start throwing his weight behind him? But I wanted to highlight, well, one thing is interesting, an article I saw in The City, a couple other things. Again, I'm not leaving anyone off intentionally. We'll do a larger video with everyone. I just want to highlight a few people. It's very interesting. So, one, this is an article that went up in The City, which, do you think people in New York City love the fact they live in New York City? Anyway, uh, <laughs> Title Yang Gang Effect Boosts New York Candidates Pushing Universal Basic Income. And it's really interesting. They mentioned, of course, here, James Felton Keith, who I'm sure a lot of you people, if you're interested in the kind of UBI thing, he's definitely been influential and I've been seeing him for a while. I want to highlight one thing about him that's really interesting. I've always loved this. Is because he actually ran, sorry, I want to bring this up too. He ran in 2018 on UBI. So people say, like, oh, I remember I was, well, I remember being an Andrew Yang fan in 2000, early 2019. It was like into UBI. It's like, well, people were running on this. And like, it isn't like UBI didn't exist until then Andrew Yang came. It's just he was the first real large voice. But this is what I love about it. And this is one of the things I've always liked about the freedom dividend in and of itself and the idea of kind of universal basic income. And that is, it really works very well in like a capitalistic system in my frame. And I love the framing here. Listen to this. Keith's plan is not a tax, his campaign site says, but it's a corporate productivity dividend. 
similar to what a company stakeholders would get. His vision is that every American adult will receive $1,000 a month based on what he calls data reparations for personal information mined and sold by companies. I love that. That's hardcore, that dude. That is, well, that's, it's another, now, I think. Data it, reparations. I, I, anything, by the way, whenever I, I hear someone describe a plan in like a few sentences, it's always like, well, what about this thing? It's like, well, maybe read the description that's longer than two sentences and you'll figure yeah. it out. That being said, I just love that framing of it, just the idea of, it's one of the things that I think is really effective too, and I'm interesting to see. I hope something more we see from this humanity forward is the idea of more candidates running on UBI and then that letting them use the messaging to kind of like, I don't, I think UBI works best as a messaging when you explain not only is it applied universally, it kind of benefits people almost universally. At a certain point, $12,000 a year does stop realistically providing any benefit. To, but you know what? Those people are doing so well for themselves. Hey, I also people always say, why do they get it? I don't see why there can't be a program where you can offer to give up your UBI for like a tax yeah. credit or so, something else the government can incentivize rich people for that helps them. I don't know. Maybe not a tax credit. I don't know. But I just think it's a... Really cool. But the other reason I wanted to bring it up, one, is that we have, you know, candidates like James Felton and others. I think they mentioned in this article there's now eight people running in New York, I think. Uh, yeah, New York State—according um, to the National UBI Caucus, eight congressional candidates in New York State have signed a pledge to introduce legislation promoting the concept if elected. And that's just in New York State. It's one state out of 50. So that's very cool. And then also, really quickly, I wanted to give a shout-out to a longtime friend of the show who's now running for Congress on UBA. That is our friend. I want to butcher their name. I believe Heidi Briones. Hey. I'm butcher their name. But there's another Oh, dude, why. is that not like a Yang 2020 I know. logo? That's what I mean. But again, th this is the thing I think is cool. Because this is someone, you know, we've seen. She's been, you know, a few of the show and a friend of us for a while. And now, look at this, running for Congress. Not only running for Congress, verified on Twitter. So super running for Congress. But uh, there's a bunch of people out there. Like I said, I don't want to forget anyone. I'll have the links so you guys can follow those people. Uh, we'll do a video trying to do a full one of everybody running and what then exactly what they're running on. Uh, but I thought it's very cool. We're already seeing the, I mean, it's day one, but we've already seen over the past few months a lot of people who were the legacy of Yang, I think, politically previously disengaged people who didn't see a lane for them in American politics today who now see a lane for themselves. Dude, that's cool. Moving she's, doing into that. That. she's doing a UBI run. You go. You go. Oh yeah. Uh, the, oh, universal haircut. Oh now, universal healthcare. Now me and Heidi got to fight. Universally affordable healthcare. Well, it's affordable it, healthcare. Well, it's got to be private. I Government think it, can't own it. I think it's got to be private. The, I like the idea of having a lot of people running on UBI and UBI being the thing is because UBI is less highly politicized. Like I, said, yeah. I can make a UBI argument to people that are staunch. I, I've done it. Like really staunch capitalistic conservative people who are like thousand dollars a month. That's crazy. I'd be like, well, but like. It's actually like a lot of capitalists came up with it because the idea is yeah. every business owner now has a thousand dollars a month. They don't have to necessarily like they can you can start a business yeah. and run lean, and every customer walking into the door of a business has a thousand dollars more to spend. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's supposed to be like almost like a a kind of middle class consumer stimulus. Dude, honestly, a lot of them hear that and they won't say, "Oh, it's the best idea ever," but they'll kind of go, oh, "Okay, I see that." Same thing with people on the left. They're like, "Oh, it's gonna gut the social safety net," and it's like, "Well, no, you don't understand." Like a lot of people. Wait, 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 but let's go. Let's, they go, "Oh, okay, I see what you mean." Let's go back to Heidi really fast because we got to give her a shameless plug now that she's running for Congress. That's awesome. So she's got the UBI platform, the 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 universal health care. Yeah, we'll go to the mat on that one, Heidi. I'll take you. I'll take you. But I'm curious what democracy reform is. That's kind of cool, man. That um, I like all of the democracy link. reform. I'd be curious to see. Hey, now that you're a candidate, we got to get you on problem solver politics. 
You know what I'm saying? Well, no, well, that, that's one thing, and too. And your platform, girl. That's one thing, <laughs> yeah. hopefully, over the next few months, because that's the... That, that's fun. We get to follow Yang to his next thing, and it's going to be a hey, series she's of going, she, she's sure. going Zoltan here with the land value dividend. Interesting. Very cool. Again, very cool. We'll yeah, rock a, on. Well, because I want to do a larger video in the next week or so. Uh, kind of spoilers, I guess. Going over... Again, like a series of people. I want to make sure I try to get almost everyone that's currently running or had ran recently that we weren't able to get to earlier. Because I know there's a lot of people out there running. Uh, I, again, I always just feel bad about bringing any person up in specifics. I'm like, I know if I bring one person up, there's three I'm forgetting. But it's really happening. It's really cool to see. So that's all I wanted to show is that the money's how coming cool is that? in. That's actually the second. Running. The second that I can think of, the second one of our viewers who's decided to run for office. And I, dude, I'm the reverse of George Carlin on this. I'm like, boom, get in that race. You never know. And if you do, you can probably do some amazing, amazing good for our republic. So rock on, rock on, go Heidi. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's that's the legs of the Yang 2020 movement. There's yeah. people that were like, I wasn't even really, I'm not going to put words in her mouth, but there's people across the, the, the board that were like, I'm not really interested in who I'm going to vote for going into like 2018, then suddenly big on Andrew Yang, and now we have people running for office based on his ideas. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. really did take people from fairly dis fairly politically disinterested to what is our next thing in like 14 months. So very cool. I think the, I guess, like I said, the legacy of Yang we will see will be this. It'll be what happens over the next few years. It'll be what happens in the 2022 midterms. I think that's the next real crazy thing. That's the other thing I kind of wanted to touch on there. You'll notice a lot of congressional candidates. Yeah, 2022 midterms is going to be crazy. There's going to be, let's see. I, I, I am going to see, be curious to see how many people Andrew Yang and the Humanity Forward movement are able to court into running on UBI in 2022. 2020, it's coming up. I guess there's people running in 2020 right now. That's good, but it's just give it a couple more years of development and growth, especially with some wins and gains right now. A lot of people maybe will run again in 2022 with a bigger yeah. base. Like that's what I'm really curious to see because that could be yeah. huge. Who knows though? It could could also be a very modest, tepid growth. You never know. But that I have to imagine is Andrew Yang's path. To, if he wants to run again in 2024 or down the line, I imagine step one. Get people in the house as soon as possible. Probably circle 2022 as that next real chance, right? Would you not agree? That's that's probably a good year and a half of ramping up, gearing behind a series of candidates to run on UBI. So, yeah. So, um, are you ready for an awesome segue into our next topic? Honestly, no, I'm not ready. No. <laughs> oh, come on. Why not, man? Uh, let's see. Let's see if I was right. I was just going to say, I was going to say, I'm going to donate to Heidi because she seems super awesome and rational. And I want her rationale in Congress. I'm going to donate to AOC, which is the next subject of our conversation, because I want to keep her crazy in Congress. <laughs> I want I want to keep her crazy in Congress because she's uh, she's kind of flip flopping a little bit. But also she says some really wild stuff that really just, you know, shakes up the shakes up the pot for entertainment, but also just shows um how depraved and unthought out some of these uh, modern ideas are. So that's our next topic. AOC oh actually God. kind of becoming a like Biden said, girl. Like I said, I was not ready for your nonsense. Okay, I'll tell you guys what actually happened. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of you are confused. This is what actually happened is that AOC. Now, the reason why we're even bringing this up is because she is a Bernie Sanders surrogate. And 
by default, that would make her the most famous politician who's backed Bernie Sanders. I think I don't think there's a politician more famous than her. So yeah. the biggest, the most famous politician in America almost endorsed Bernie Sanders. And then three or four months after she endorsed Bernie Sanders, she comes out and says, well, you know, I'm really just endorsing whoever wins. No, a lot of people have said it. Here's her actual quote. When you read the quote, the quote itself isn't that crazy. I've said throughout this entire process what is so important that we ultimately unite behind who that Democratic nominee is. I think it's a two-way street. I've been concerned by some folks that say Bernie's the nominee. They won't support him in the other way around. Now, that's not really anything crazy to say, especially in a late-night show, right? I think we support the nominee. I hope people support whoever it is. Now, the reason why this is weird is because she's a Bernie Sanders surrogate. And Bernie Sanders just got clobbered and that clobbered, but he had a bad Super Tuesday. Bernie Sanders really needs people to come out in the polls and vote for him yeah. in a couple of days on, I believe it's, again, Tuesday. And we have his famous, most influential surrogate going on TV saying, well, you know, I support really whoever wins. So did you endorse Bernie Sanders or did you endorse whoever wins the ticket? I mean, that's the thing. At this point, it almost sounds like she just kind of endorsed whoever wins, which there's nothing wrong with saying, look, between both these candidates, I honestly just want to win. Whoever it is, we have to unite behind. In general, that's totally reasonable and rational to say. But when you're literally one of the biggest endorsements for one of the two people, it's just weird to say it now. She couldn't say it in two weeks when whatever happens, happens. She had to say it now, today, so or yesterday. I thought that was very weird. Uh, and, and, and to a certain extent, it kind of calls into question what the very definition of the word endorsement means. Because if you can endorse, like she kind of did what Andrew Yang said ranked choice voting should be. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She just did the first rank ranked choice endorsement I think I've ever heard of, you know, where it's like Bernie Sanders is totally my guy unless he doesn't win. And then Joe Biden's totally my guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, you theoretically could endorse everybody in a party if you were doing that. You know what I'm saying? You literally could say, Bill Weld's my dude, unless he doesn't win. Then Ron Paul's my man, unless he doesn't win. Then I'm going to vote all in for Donald Trump 2020. Well, because, you know, like, exactly. I mean, but again, it's it's just exactly the mess. What she said herself wasn't weird at all. It's just the position she's in. And now it's like what, he right now he needs to look. It's very important. We get behind Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is the answer. Yeah. Just saying, well, whatever, man. Whoever wins, wins. That's who I'll go with. Now, she has history of basically always saying that, and I think it's because a lot of people don't like her for it. I don't think you like her for it. I think it makes her a very remarkably effective politician because she's put herself in a position right now where— Well, hey, and she's gorgeous. See, you I, know, I don't just... care. I honestly don't care about that. I just think that's effective right there. You look at the way the wind's blowing and say, maybe— What, being gorgeous? Or... Maybe putting myself in a spot where I can go either way we help. But the other thing I wanted to show from this is that well, while that story not... came out— Hold on, because while the story came out today— And again, we're no Bernie supporters. I'm not voting for Bernie Sanders. I don't care who you vote for. If you want to vote for him, please do. But I'm just not voting for him. However, I don't care who you support. I don't care if you actually are just like a uh, big, like, uh, like what would, be a, would be a Russophile and you love Russia— this is one of the most bizarre things I've read. Newsweek ran this headline today. Because in concert with that 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 uh, AOC story got made public, but it was a comment she made in Seth Meyers tonight that was very tepid that a bunch of people ran as AOC said she'll endorse Biden. It's like, yeah. sort of. I agree it looks bad, but it's kind of funny that multiple headlines got read on it. Well, and before you switch topics, I just want to say... Well, not it, switching topics. It did surprise me, though, because there's so many ways of avoiding that. 
just saying, oh, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Oh, I haven't thought about that. Ask me in a couple of months, you know? Oh, yeah. But straight out coming out and saying, yeah, I got a second choice already lined up. I got that bullet in the well, chamber. That's not what she you said, know? though. She <laughs> just said, I'll endorse whoever wins, which is what people, by the way, have been uh, saying the whole time. It was the framing. So I want to highlight because this uh, is the Newsweek ran that same article. I showed you the actual support, so like actually supporting better, but this is what cracked me up. Newsweek runs this article today. This is the most shameless garbage headline I've read in a while. And again, I don't like Bernie Sanders, but I will defend anybody from this nonsense. Uh, Bernie Sanders is receiving <laughs> 21 times as much positive Russian media coverage as Joe Biden. Analysis shows, please, miss me. This is ridiculous. Oh, man. Hey, you know what? You know what? Like, I, I want to imagine the person who reads this and goes like, oh, I really wanted to support Bernie, but the Russians. Newsweek like told me that 21 times as much. Like, first of all, what does that even mean? A B. What, what does both those things mean? What does positive Russian coverage mean? A B. And also, what does it mean that Biden's getting less? Are they just not talking about Biden because they don't want to talk about him? There's so much nonsense in just this headline. I'll go through the story. The story isn't much better, but the headline itself is absolutely ridiculous. But uh, they, they mentioned that Democratic presidential hopefuls Bernie Sanders received the most positive coverage of any contender from Russian state-backed news agencies, according to a new resource from a foreign policy think tank. Oh, my God. My God, how is this? How could this be possible? It's because, by the way, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna think too many steps down. Bernie Sanders did, like, you can say it's a smear or not. He did literally go to the Soviet Union and honeymoon there and say I like Russia. Like, yeah. he said the good things about the country in the past before. I'm not saying your average Russians like, oh, I'm really happy he complimented the things. Soviet Union, which is the failed government state that we no longer live under. But it's just, it's just funny to me that. Somehow this is supposed to be like some smoking gun against Bernie. Today, for whatever reason, was the Operation End Bernie Day in the media. They take the AOC article and they run it. I agree. Kind of a weird thing. It's kind of hedging your bets. Writing articles about someone's one line they said on Seth Meyers does seem a little bit like we want to control the narrative. That's what she actually said, which it can be construed that way. And then this one, bringing up some study that found that... um. And listen to this, 21% of Sanders' mentions were positive, compared to only 3% for Biden. 16% of Sanders' mentions were negative, compared to 40% for the former vice president. Wow. I wonder if this also has to deal with the fact that Joe Biden and is very tied to a scandal going on in Ukraine. And Joe Biden, I believe, was also sent to make sure Russia didn't invade Ukraine when, when Russia was trying to take Crimea. Yeah. Am I right? Is that what happened? I wonder why they'd have a different impression of... Joe Biden, who was actively working as the vice president in their part of the world. But it's just, you know. Well, also, why don't we just accept yeah, the just, fact. Sorry. Oh, sorry, go. I was just going to say, why don't we also just accept the fact that this whole Russian collusion, Russian influence, Russian this, Russian that, was never based off of liking somebody more as much as it was just to sow division. Bernie Sanders is the underdog candidate that, if nominated, would sow the most amount of division in their enemy state, the United States of America. So, of course, they're going to support him. Probably less. I I'm sure they I – I doubt that they harbor these fantasies that he will create the communist state of America and finally the Red Army will triumph. Yeah. I doubt Why that's they what they're liking. Yeah. They just view him as being the most controversial, the most divisive, and we want to do the most damage to the great capitalist pig in the West, the okay. United States but of America, by saying good things about him. Do you not agree, though, that also just Joe Biden and... Now, I agree the most the positive coverage, whatever that means, but... 
and also, this is why I want to walk it back. Not walk it back, but I want to also explain to you guys how they write news headlines. Or a lot of you guys know this. So the FPRI analysis took 3,897 stories and 5,082 men mentions on Sputnik and RT from January 1st to March 2nd. Anything weird happened between January and March of 2019 and 2020 that involved Joe Biden in Ukraine? <laughs> like the fact that like just like the narcissism that like these outlets owned by Russia could only be influenced by our super important. They don't have any actual politics in any other yeah. parts of the world. Nobody else's problems or issues. Joe Biden only exists in America. So any bad stuff to say about Joe, it's like there's reasons. I mean, there's reasons why. And also RT and Sputnik make English coverage and they base a lot of their stuff out of America. It's not like this is like. Russia's own state media in Russia is like, oh, Comrade Sanders is doing good in the polls. Like that, That's not what they're talking about. You're talking about English-speaking news outlets having better things to say about Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, which, by the way, I know enough about Sputnik and RT to know that they're trying to appeal to people that are under the age of 50, which would be Joe Biden's audience. So I think part of it might be, did you ever think RT and Sputnik realized when they said good things about <laughs> Bernie Sanders, they got more views? Like, I love that. The, the, no, the only conclusion here is that our headline, they'll, they'll probably, I haven't read every word of this article, I, I don't want to, and they'll update it after I post it anyway, but... They mentioned that a little bit, but yeah, no, no. It, it can't possibly be that Bernie Sanders is more popular on the internet than Joe Biden. Yeah, it can't like, possibly be that. It has to be something. And people also forget that clickbait exists in other countries too. You know what I'm saying? The yellow press and tabloids exist in other countries too. And when you look at all of the magazines on the magazine rack, uh, even here, in Southern California for every one national geographic and archeology span magazine or, or modern science magazine. That's talking about something in depth scientific that, that really could change the world positively. There's 15 gossip columns that are like, Oh my gosh, did you hear Bernie Sanders said that like communism is good? Like, OMG, my grandpa fought communism. You know what I'm saying? There, there's, there's, there's garbage rags like that in all the other countries as well. And human behavior doesn't change too much when you cross borders. Culturally, things might get modified. But, but, but really, this desire for gossip and sensationalism is not unique to Americans. So, of course, the amount of mentions for the old Bolshevik, I'm sorry, I mean the Democratic Socialist, are going to be augmented in uh, a, another country for one reason or another. So, um, no, yeah, they, no, it, no, misleading, no, misleading no, headline at best. I guess they're not talking about, I, as far as I understand, I know Russian Today and Sputnik, RT and Sputnik, they do stuff in English for, like, Americans. Like, I think that's what they're talking about. I don't know if they're talking about, um, yeah, it just says Sputnik and RT. It doesn't say that Russian or English language. And I think, I think I'll pull up for you guys. I'll show you guys what a Sputnik uh, Bernie Sanders article. This is an RT article of Bernie Sanders. Well, RT, I think all of us have seen at one point or another Democrat, on Facebook. Not a real Democrat. Florida seeks to remove Bernie Sanders from primary belt. If you read through the entire thing, it's more positive than him than negative. It actually is pretty comprehensive. It's honestly more comprehensive than a lot of other people's stuff. But uh, they mention all stuff in here. But th th this is what it is. This this is it's a regular kind of more younger focused thing but i don't want to get too lost in this it's not the biggest deal of all time i just yeah. thought it was funny you could definitely tell and this is the last thing i want to show from today's apparent media's operation to get rid of bernie sanders what is it called when you it's just propaganda right when you put out stuff like this 
Give yeah. up. You've already lost. Look, everyone else is giving up. It, everyone else is they're, they're preparing for life after. This also came out today. So it's like today I was just looking around like, what are the big stories today? Oh, I guess Bernie Sanders is the worst again. It's the, every now and then the media will do their, okay, today's the well, day. Well, I just think time to, time to put our thumb on the scales. AOC's backing off of Bernie. Young people have given up and the Russians support him. Before we Whatever. talk about before we talk about Tulsi, can I make one prediction? Well, I want to bring up one more thing too, actually. But before. okay, and then I'll make my prediction. Um, while you're pulling that up, I really think there's nobody that can carry this really far left torch. AOC is not going to be capable of carrying it. She'll be capable of tweeting and making a stink and so on and so forth, but she's not going to be able to run a national campaign that goes beyond one percent um, in the way that Bernie Sanders did, or even just. Barack Obama, the super left-leaning regular socialist candidates did, you know, um, before him. Socialism kind of had its day. And just because nobody ever cultivated a B team, because really you can't cultivate much of a B team with that kind of ideology. Um, I really think post-Bernie Sanders, a lot of these millennials that never really grew up you know, you were talking about it during the pre-show. These people that are in their early 30s now, uh, you know, that's kind of a cute thing. This whole underdog swamped with student loans. I'm going to fight for student loan buybacks and universal health care. But like once you're finally 32 and you're still living in your mom's basement and you're working part time at the coffee shop, th there's just a point where you really do have to grow up and figure out that nobody else is going to fix your life for you. And I think there's just going to be this, this. I don't want to say a big conservative re revolution, but a, a a very rapid maturation that happens to a lot of millennials very quickly when Bernie Sanders loses, because now the hope of the way I was taught it was going to be in college and thought it was going to be during college and this liberal utopia that I dreamed of happening for a decade that really stunted my growth. You know, you look at where your grandparents were at 23 and where your parents were at 23 and then now where you are at 33 and you just realize, okay, this has robbed me of these 10 years. Now I have to take the reins. I think I, I believe so much in the human spirit and in, in, in the human ability to, to, to self-analyze and better their uh, their lot in life. That I think there's going to be a very large maturation in American politics once Bernie Sanders doesn't get reelected. Does that make sense? Sure. I don't agree. Cody, man, sure. how, come we, how, how does it not? Whatever. How does it not? Because who else is going to be the big socialist after Bernie's gone? Here's the thing. For 40 years, Here's he the was thing. the guy. Okay, but like, I, you know what the, the, the thing is? I guess I'm not looking like, who's going to be the next big socialist? I don't know, man. I think there's going to be another progressive running. Tulsi Gabbard, we're talking about next, is still in the race. She's probably not running again because of politics is what it's done to her because, you know, a lot of she's not been treated kindly by anyone. But no, I don't think there's going to be this massive, like, right-wing wave. It's just Bernie Sanders. No, there will always twice, be progressives. And he but didn't win. So someone else is The strength of the movement will be completely kneecapped. It'll just change to a different thing. That's what happens okay. to most things. Most things start as one thing and then change to a different thing because that's kind of what happens to things. I mean, yes, everything changes. It's, think okay. about where we were in 2012, where we are today. I suspect I suspect a very rapid and large maturation amongst especially millennials whose growth has been matured and have failed to launch. I think that we'll finally start launching. So anyway, we've actually got some happy news for Tulsi. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. 
Tulsi Gabbard, as you know, was failing to appear in a couple of the debate stages because she wasn't quite hitting some of those thresholds. But one of the thresholds for the next debate is he had to pick up a delegate in order to be able to make it to the debate stage. And what do you know? Home team hero, American Samoa-born Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii actually has not pulled off one, but two, and then one was taken away, and now she got it back of delegates from America Samoa. Cody, what's going on? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's the, a couple of days. I think yesterday this came out and they got it settled. Yeah, initially it was reported she'd have two delegates, so down to one, came back to two. So I believe Tulsi, as we... Stan is currently at two national delegates. Why does any of this mean? Why are we bringing it up? One, because I just want to mention Tulsi Gabbard is indeed still running for president because she is. She's outlasted. And she's been a class act too, man. But anyway, beyond that is one of the qualifying barriers. The reason why you saw Tom, no, that's not Tom Steyer. He made it off polling. But one of the barriers for qualifying has been to receive a single delegate in the previous debates. Let me pull this up for you guys. Yeah. This was the rules of the most recent debates. Debates on February 25th. The candidates needed to hit 10% in four polls or win one delegate. Ten uh, percent is a hard threshold. And, but the, no one's really polling anymore because who cares? Yeah. Like it's like, the, and Tulsi's not going to pull at ten percent either. Delegates who are away for candidates like Tulsi, it was a way I thought Yang was going to be able to sneak in by getting a delegate in Iowa. Like, yeah, and not sneak, but you know what I mean. Like get in without having to get all these polls that have a bunch of different or have thirty million just dollars drop well at the ballots, right? So there we go. Yeah, a lot of people are speculating, including of course Business Insider, immediately that holy cow, did Tulsi Gabbard? Sorry, let me re reframe that, but. Did Tulsi Gabbard just qualify for the debate stage? Here's the thing. As we sit today, I'm recording this, the 6th of March at 12 Pacific. Fade. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but as we're recording this today, they have not announced the new debate rules. And they mentioned on this that it looks like Tulsi may have qualified. Under the most recent rules, she would have qualified with one delegate. However, they had not announced... Any official things, all they've announced officially is that the, the delegate threshold will go up. Interesting. Been, here's, what I was saying is they should have held off the fact that Tulsi had an extra delegate in, in, uh, in Samoa for like another day or two. So they could have came out with the new rules and been like, aha, now you need two delegates. They could have been like, actually, she but, doesn't. Because now I have I have a very strong feeling you're going to need three delegates to, to qualify for the next debate. And, and it's, while I think it's, it could be both unfair and sort of make sense. I'm someone who likes Tulsi, but from the perspective of the DNC, I could see them saying, look, this is a, we see it as a two horse race. We only want two people on the debate stage. We have an opportunity here to make it so you need 10 delegates, to, to, which I would say wouldn't be out of this world. You need 10 delegates. There's hundreds that have been awarded. It's just funny to see though, how it's going to go from like one to 10. And it's only going to matter because Tulsi can't qualify. It's going to matter for nobody else. I think that's interesting. Also though, maybe they would set the, the delegate threshold at just a little bit above where everybody else was. But none of these drop-down candidates are going to appear. It's just it's well, the only clearly problem, going to happen again. The only problem with that, though, Cody, is this totally smacks of rigging. It's like when there was those kids that were kind of like the rule bullies on the playground where they wanted to control the outcome of the game, so they are constantly saying, new rule, new rule, pause, new rule. Oh, you can't hit in the heads. That wasn't really an out. Oh, wait, my friend just got hit on the shoulder. Okay, you can't hit and dodgeball on the shoulder. That's not an out. Only below the waist, you know. And they're constantly changing the rules as the game goes along in order to benefit themselves and their friends. Wait, but is it I, not... Is it's it, like, why is the DNC so constantly changing these he, rules? Here's the thing, though. Is this not just objectively, 
is it does it not make sense for an establishment party, the, the, the people at the top, to just say, if I have an opportunity here to limit my debate stage to the two people that I want to see debating at this point, why is that so wrong? They I just agree say it's that. Not right, that they should have. But if they, you're a private party and might. you're a political well, party, can I, can I, just just call it the gatekeeper's clause. No, that's a question. Yeah. Is raising the delegate threshold to like 30 or something so Tulsi doesn't qualify? Not them saying that, just in a different manner. That no. is how they say it. They, they they say it by doing it. That was how they said it. They they'll they'll have like you know like nice language for it. But yeah, like is the what is the what is the line? Uh, forgot who says it. When people on TV says you know like I see better than I hear. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I see what you did. I don't care what you said. I saw what you did. They're gonna do it again here. It looks like the tools. It's really unfortunate because I would love to see Tulsi on the debate stage. Here's the thing. I want to see Tulsi on the debate stage because she'd probably just take Bernie and Biden to task for a couple hours and they would try to be elbowing her off the stage and like talking over her and she'd really like expose them. But I mean, I could see why if I legitimately wanted Joe Biden or Bernie to be president, I would say, well, we don't need a third person up there. I'm just, dude, I just, I see it both ways. I agree that if they had a rule of one delegate and they want, if they had kept it, it'd be one thing, but they hadn't announced new rules. They're going to change them. It looks like, and just looking at the delegate thresholds, right? Like, it, I could see why they would set it at, at 70. 70 like, delegates. You need see, to have, you need to at least, like, be above where Elizabeth Warren was. I mean, I don't see what's so, I don't agree, but I also don't see what's so crazy. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, now, you you don't see it as so crazy because, I mean, I know you. You believe there has to be some kind of gatekeeping. And I agree with you, too. You can't just hold on. I do not believe there should be some kind of gatekeeping. I am just saying that if the Democrats say we only want two people on the debate stage, it's technically their debate. That's all I'm saying. Well, no, no, there's been tons of Well, fine. Maybe gatekeeping is the particular word, but I think it is the right word. You you can't have, for example, like anybody that says I'm a Democratic uh, candidate for for the presidency up there. Well, then you got Vermin Supreme with his rubber boot head up there hollering. I guess one, what's one word? You know what I'm saying? Like thresholds. So, like I, having requirements isn't crazy. Well, yeah, that that's gatekeeping. In a sense, I would consider gatekeeping to be what they've been doing to Tulsi before this. Gatekeeping was not counting the polls that would have put Tulsi Gabbard on the debate stage because her, specifically her, they don't like. That's gatekeeping. Just having standards. like. Well, I think that's negative gatekeeping. Is it gatekeeping I mean, to require... Just like there's benevolent sexism and there's oh, negative okay. sexism. This is semantics. I argue it's not gatekeeping to say you can't come into my establishment without shoes on. I argue that's just like maybe health code, not gatekeeping. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like you can't walk in here without shoes. Sorry. Okay, fine. Well, either way, either way. You, you know, there's, you want to be able to reward experience. And like, for example, I'm neither for or against unions because there's good unions and there's bad unions. I've been a member of unions that have just taken money out of my paycheck, not done anything for me, not done anything for the workers and completely sucked and been a negative drag on society. Whereas like the carpenters union here that puts up the metal studs in buildings, man, they require a high union wage from anybody that hires them and they take their management to task, but they also take their employees to task and they force them to show up on time. They give them phenomenal training and they, you know, they drug test them and they make sure that, hey, if we're going to demand this high union wage from them, we demand high union work for you, you know? So there's, that, that's, that's a beautiful union. That's a perfect union. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I believe there has to be some gatekeeping in politics in the sense that, okay, the parties have to be out there recruiting politicians, cultivating talent, explaining to them how the system operates so we don't just have a bunch of ideologues that don't even know uh, how to submit a bill in Congress, starting revolutions on Twitter before they even know how to vote for a health care bill 
on the floor, you know? So there has to be some kind of gatekeeping that rewards a certain amount of buy-in and experience, but it can't get to a point where it looks like every round you're changing a rule in order to adversely add, uh, affect the outcome of whoever the most establishment-y person is. Okay, hold on. Can I interrupt you? Like, we don't change wait, all wait, the rules wait, wait. after every primary for okay, the presidential wait, election. Wait. It's been the Electoral College since 1770-whatever. I got breaking news. I okay, apologize what? to interrupt your stunning soliloquy about gatekeeping and the, the virtues of gatekeeping. But hey, yeah. Mr. Gatekeeper hey, hey, over here, Carden. nicer to me, man. We're at the end uh, of the, the, the podcast. I don't you care. Breaking news, Mr. Gatekeeper. <sighs> they've done it. They've shut the gate in Tulsi Gabbard. News just came out literally two minutes ago. That's why they I mentioned did it. recording it. They just did it. But again, tell me if the wording here is insane to you. I think the wording is you need 20% of pledged delegates. That's not an insane wording to me. Wow. 20% of pledged delegates awarded. Yeah, I mean, okay. That doesn't seem like, how dare they? I, I would agree, though. And I would agree, right? To be fair, jumping from a pledged delegate to yeah. 20%. But also, keep in mind. Buttigieg couldn't have pulled the last. Out. The last time we had a debate, I think three states had voted. Now we've had almost 20. Like, like yeah. realistically... It was one thing when only a few delegates had been awarded, but now the field is narrowed to three people and hundreds of delegates have been awarded. It makes sense. It's unfortunate, but it makes sense is all I want to say. But there we go. So they did do it. They did change the rules to keep Tulsi Gabbard off the debate stage. They said they were going to do it. We knew they were going to do it. And like I said, man, sometimes you see we see better than we hear. I've seen what they have done, 20%. But it doesn't matter what they say. They did it because, because here's the thing. There's no, like, weird math in gaming here. There's no, oh, oh, I guess that, that excludes Tulsi, huh? We didn't even think about that. Let me show you guys again what the actual breakdown of delegates looks like. It's obvious if the delegate threshold was anything greater than two, that it yeah. was going to exclude everybody but Bernie. and, and Biden. Like, anything, anything beyond bumping it up to two than one was going to exclude the only other person who realistically would accept the offer to appear on the debate stage. So... Why they did it, they knew what they were doing. They basically said, we want to see Biden and Sanders debate down the stretch. Better or for worse, it's, it is what it is. But I just thought it, it was kind of funny to see. It, 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 it was almost like at this election's ending, there's a lot of stuff that we're, we're kind of losing that's been happening multiple times in this election that I kind of miss. And it was just, as much as I hate to see it, it was nice to see the establishment screw over Tulsi one last time, you know, just it, just just to end the 2019 primary. Just yeah. one last time we're going to say, sorry, Tulsi, so close, but you missed it. That's how you know we're still in this election. And also, this is really what just makes me think that there needs to be a progressive party. They're just literally amongst the Democrat. I don't want to say establishment, but. The modern American left, there's really just the establishment Democrats and the progressives. It's a two party system over there. And the progressives have been fooled. Okay. And this is where I feel really bad, badly, and I empathize with the progressives because though I disagree with the vast majority of their policies, I recognize that they have been, they've been taken advantage of. That the Democrat establishment has allowed them to go out and knock doors for them. They've said, yeah, yeah, sure. A lot of your ideas. Yeah, we're going to get to them in an incremental way. Yeah, we're going to slowly veer to the left. And America America has. I mean, you can look at the Pew Research done in 2017. And, and, and the far left in America has driven the political divide and the Overton window in, in so much further in the past 10 years than it ever has in the first 200 
So um, to a certain extent, they got what they want, but not really. They, they've really been taken advantage of by the establishment Democrats who've allowed them to be the shock troops going out there, who've allowed them to be the, 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 the mercenaries in the brown shirts, but without getting paid. They've allowed them to go out and knock doors on behalf of people. Tons of progressives were out there knocking doors for Katie Hill. We're out there knocking doors for Hillary Clinton once Bernie Sanders got screwed in the first election. Ton of them were out there knocking doors on behalf of John Kerry and all these other people. Okay, when progressivism progressivism first really started gaining steam for every Democratic candidate that has opposed a Republican. Okay. They were out knocking doors like crazy for Barack Obama. And what what did they get out of it? Nothing. Nothing. They've been screwed out of a Bernie Sanders nomination two years in a row. And nobody can really think of any great progressive candidates outside of AOC and her super cool, you know, win over the uh, establishment guy. There was really a flash in the pan. No major movement of progressive candidates making it into Congress ever really paid off. The Tea Party got more from the Republican Party than the progressives have gotten from the Democrat Party simply just because the Republican Party stuck to its rules. And if the Tea Party candidate won, they didn't change the rules to screw them. That's it. There were 12 or 13 Tea Party candidates that made it to Congress, so much so they were called the Tea Party Caucus. You can't really think of a progressive caucus that's existed because of the efforts of the progressives and Bernie Sanders and okay. AOC. I, I, I know it's unsolicited. I got advice from progressives. Don't make a tea party. Don't do it. No. <laughs> it was one of those things that ended up just being really cringe and embarrassing for most people involved. And very few people still consider themselves tea party members. So. What are you talking about? There's tons. Yeah, that are proudly. How many people you go on their Twitter the account? The taxed enough already party. Oh, no, it's how definitely. Many, yeah, how many people on Twitter account and they proudly say former Tea Party No, well, member. that's just because Trumpism took over no, the fervor it, of the Tea Party. It ended pretty cringe, and a lot of people were like, okay. Oh, let's stop it. You're too cynical. You're too cynical. Okay, I'm cynical. By the way, I want to bring in one last thing on the topic of awesome. Tulsi and the debates. Uh, I forgot to bring this up, but I should have brought it up earlier. Tulsi is also on record saying she won't go to the debates anyway, so. Jeez, because all right. you know she what? just recognizes point, it's a sham. She, this was in December, but to your point, she got so sick and tired of them dangling it. Oh, sorry, these two polls that you needed to qualify just don't count for no reason. Like, she's like the State so, Farm fisherman. Like, yeah. oh, you she got, got so tired of that that I think by December she said, I'm over this. So I wanted to highlight that. I just thought it was funny. Again, it was great as much as I hate seeing them do it. Just kind of felt like old times again, you know? Yeah. A candidate getting screwed off the debate stage. Like, there we go. Did by the, the way, what is that picture, Cody? It's an ad that keeps running before all the videos. I don't know what. Oh, okay. I was like, is that a helicopter crop dusting? How does that have to do with Tulsi Gabbard? Okay, I get it. So anyway, hey, let us know what you guys think. Um, Please comment below if you haven't liked, shared, or subscribed yet. Make sure you subscribe. And if you want to join the channel, make sure you join. It's cheap. It's only five bucks. And it's a really great way to make sure that we can continue getting you these videos and this content free of corporate sponsorship and influence, all right? And if you can, make sure you follow us on Twitter. It's worth even just signing up for Twitter. Even if you only follow one account on Twitter, you got to follow PSP Radio 1. We send out a ton of really funny clips, really funny memes, and all kinds of other content on our Twitter feed. So make sure... That you follow us on PSP Radio 1 on Twitter. This is Problem Solver Politics. We'll see you guys in the next video.